Morning Porch community. It's good to see you. I'm glad you are here. We are concluding our Leviticus series today, and we're going to start out in Leviticus chapter 26, but we're going to have a lot of different passages to look at today. So if you are a note taker, I encourage you to to write down these verses and go, what do I say? I'll go back and read it for yourself later um, because there's going to be a lot of verses in there. Last week, I want to mention this real quick, we paused our series to talk about being for our community. Uh, we talked about a f- couple of things, how the, the fact of the matter is, is that God is always at work around us, and so that's something we need to recognize and know so that then we go, okay, God, what are you up to? Uh, we talked about how we should embrace a theology of community. We should view the, the fact that, that God is at work and that and that we need to embrace that and not just make it like an individual uh, sport, um, if you will. We talked about... Uh, wow. I apologize very much. I don't know what I did, but we'll see how that goes. <clears throat> um, we talked about realizing that we are somebody's someone. I know that resonated with a lot of you. Um, that the fact that, that there have been times when we've prayed for somebody to show up in someone's life that we care about, that we are concerned for, that we love, and then to realize that on the flip side of that is that we are somebody, someone. We have, we're in, in someone's life. We're in their sphere of influence, that they're part of ours, and, and we are the somebody to someone's prayer for, for someone else. We want to remember that. And then we talked about how we should just view our life as one where we are a contributor, not a consumer, right? That we are someone who says, I want to be a servant to my community and not just someone who is depleting the community, just taking the resources from the community, but actually going, how can I contribute to the community that I live in? And those are the things we talked about last week. And I gave an action step, which is why I'm giving you this quick review. I gave an action step last week, and I said, hey, be people who actually invite others. And the very practical action step was invite them to our porch fest, which is tonight. Our porch fest from 4 to 6 p.m. It's our, our version of a, a fall festival. Um, and so I say all that to say that the action step is still uh, available this morning. It's still available. And that's for you to say, okay, okay, God, you know, ask the Holy Spirit to show you who, are the, who is the person, who are the people that I could just say, hey, will you, you want to come and be a part of a, just a really chill afternoon uh, with a community of faith just to help kind of make that easy step into a connection with a church. Um, and so I asked you to do that. And so, um, listen, talking about sphere of influence, there are undoubtedly people in your life who are in need of the community of Jesus. Amen? Okay. And so I do not recommend this as a standard message-giving, you know, attention-paying tactic, but I'm going to give you permission if you need to, even while just you're sitting here, if there's someone you need to invite that you want to invite and you haven't yet, go ahead and get out your phone and shoot them a text right now. And be like, hey, see you at 4 o'clock. I know it's not a very good, it's not a really good tactic for going, let's keep your know, focus here. But I'm just saying, go ahead and do it. Go ahead and take the opportunity if, if, if you might forget later or it might be, you know, too short a time. You know, if you need to give them a heads up now. Come and hang out with me today at 4 o'clock and be a part of the community of faith. Okay, so I just wanted to say all that. So here's the deal, and for those of you that are paying attention, um, as we conclude this series on Leviticus, I hope 
um, and was the intention of the series, is that one, one thing for certain has, has kind of been etched into our mind, and that is that we should pursue holiness because God is holy. We should be people who want to pursue holiness because God is holy. This is the main application of the entire book of Leviticus. And holiness, just to a quick review, it means to be set apart. It means to be, uh, to be righteous, not of our own, right? But to be, right, to be righteous in God's righteousness. Like we don't come up with it on our own. That's self-righteousness. That is the opposite of the righteousness of God, right? We want to be pure, set apart. And over and over again throughout the book of Leviticus, we have seen these, these two things at play. One is the holiness of God, and, and then two is our need for holiness. Like on our own, we don't have it. Um, and so we've seen this over and again. And so here in chapter 26, what we find is this, this um, what I call an if-then scenario. And if then, um, I think we, we understand, we, we offer if then scenarios to our kids, if you're not quite sure what I mean by this. Um, we say things like, if you eat your vegetables, then you can have dessert, right? If you don't eat your vegetables, then you don't have any dessert. For you Pink Floyd fans, how can you have any pudding if you don't eat your meat? Okay, you know that. So adults, it's true for us too, if then, okay? If you show up to work, then you get a paycheck. And if you don't show up to work, then you don't get a paycheck. We understand if then scenarios, right? We understand this. Um, and God is setting up this same thing with his people in the book of Leviticus. And it carries all the way through to the cross of Jesus today. Because that's the other thing we've talked about through this series is everything we read in Leviticus, we want to look at through the lens of the cross, through that filter of what, what does that mean now as people who live under the new covenant. So this is what God sets up. So we're in verse uh, chapter 26. And um, starting in verse 3, after we know that God says he is holy, he, he kind of reiterates that in verses 1 and 2. In verse 3, it's if you obey. If you obey, it says this, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments, that's the obey part, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, so there's an action, not just a knowledge, but an action, verse 4, then I will give you rain in its season. Some of you go, who wants rain? Well, you're farming, you want rain. If you obey, then I will give you rain in its season, and the land will produce its produce, and the, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. So this is God's promise. If you obey, then, he says, I'll bless you. If, if, if. I'll bless the land. I'll, I'll bless the, the work that you do. Now, in, in verse 3, when he says, my statutes and my commandments, I think this is important to note. When we think about the Bible, when we think about Scripture and how we read it and what it means, yes, verse 3 uh, is about that moment, but it is the statutes and commandments that God mentions there. First of all, it references the entire book of Leviticus. So it's not just if you obey the one thing I just said, but it's all of what has been transpired and filled into Leviticus. 
but not only the book of Leviticus. When God mentions his statutes and his commandments, it also includes everything that precedes the book of Leviticus in the book of Exodus. And it's, it includes everything that follows in Numbers and Deuteronomy that we will end up eventually going to those series down the road. So when God commands, his people are called to obey. And to, to jump real quick, you don't have to turn there, but just consider this. Jesus made a statement in Luke chapter 6 when he said, Why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Through the filter of, of the cross, we find that obedience is still a problem. Obedience is still a struggle. God is saying, if you obey, then there will be blessings brought to you. I'll bless the land. I'll bless your work. Okay, so let's note the then in verse 4 of Leviticus 26. Because what this does is it, it actually ends up governing all the verses from, from verse 4 through verse 13. And listen to this. Verse 4 through 13, okay, jam-packed with 25 promises from God, blessing those who obey. If you obey, then, and he, and he explains that this is what will come to you. This is what you will be a part of. You will be able to receive if you obey. So it's like rains for fruitful crops, as we said. No fear of your enemies. It's one of the promises. Victory over your enemies in battle. To have numerous descendants so that you're, you're, the people of God build more and more. And then the best to me, the very best promise that is mentioned here is that God would be among them. His presence would be among them. This coming week, if you happen to be in a community group, um, I'm letting you know this, or if you want to get in one, this would be a good time to jump in. Um, they're going to do a, deep, a deeper dive into all of these blessings and consequences, which we're going to reference in a minute. Uh, that are found here in chapter 26 of Leviticus. So um, I think that'll be good. Here's the thing. The, the, the simple fact of the matter is this. When God's people obey, blessings come from him, from God. When God's people obey, blessings come from him. He repeats this. He says this. He's like, if, then. Now, to give a few examples through the lens of the cross, we see this if-then scenario still happening in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, it says that God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses them. It's, his blessing will be upon them. This is the then of the if you obey. We still see it alive here in the New Testament. In Romans 8, 28, well-known verse. We know that, what? God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. If you obey, Romans 8, 28 comes alive. If you obey, Matthew 5, 6 comes alive. If you obey, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do. And it says, and he will grant you his blessing. If you obey, 
1 Peter 3, 9, especially that last part, comes alive. These are the promises of God. That, yes, they are true in, in Leviticus in the Old Testament, but they are alive for us today as well. Now, I probably don't need to say this, but I will anyway, just in case. Obeying the Lord does not mean that we will always, or life will always, if ever, be perfect. Right? It, in our earthly lives, that, that's not the end goal. And I know when we talk a lot, when we talk about blessing, you know, you can think like prosperity gospel kind of stuff like that, and, you know, name it and claim it and those kinds of things. This is not what God's referring to, to here. He's saying, if you obey me, you will live into the promises that I've made. And he doesn't say, and that means that everything will always be perfect. No, he just means that I've got blessings and you will be, uh, you can be a part of them. And they're very common things. Like, isn't it a wonderful blessing to not fear your enemies? <laughs> not fear that someone's going to come banging on your door during the night and crash in and steal something or take, some, take something from you? Like, these are the blessings that God offers to us. Here's what this does mean, though. Here's what uh, happens. It does mean that when we obey God that we will have God's blessing even in difficult times. And I know many of us in here can say amen to that. We have had difficult times. We have had the, the worst times, the, the hardest times, the times that, that we, we would love for a miracle to happen in such a way that we don't have to deal with the hard time, but, but we find ourselves in the hard time. And yet we still experience God's blessing. How many of us actually recognize the blessing of God only when we are in the hard times? Because it's kind of like when things are going good, we're not looking for the blessing. But sometimes we find ourselves in this place where, where things are not great and our dependence is on God, our heart is turned towards Him, our mind is drawn to Him because we're like, please God, please. And, and our eyes are opened to how He is truly actually blessing even in the difficult times. We know this because he tells us things like, I will never leave you or forsake you. We know that he is with us even when things are not perfect, that we may be hated, we may be persecuted, but, but his blessing will come to those who pursue him. Which leads to the second point of Leviticus chapter 26. The first one is, if you obey. If you obey, I have blessings for you. You can participate in these. The second one is, if you rebel, if you rebel, if you rebel, if you obey, blessings will come. If you rebel, you will experience the lack of God's blessing in your life. No pudding, <laughs> no paycheck, right? This is what God promises to Israel, uh, beginning in verse 14 of Leviticus 26. He says, but if you will not listen to me and carry out all these commands... And if you reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out all my commands and so violate my covenant, because he had a covenant with his people. Verse 16, he says, then I will do this to you. If you rebel, then I will do this to you. I will bring on you sudden terror. Wasting diseases and fever that will destroy your sight and sap your strength. You will plant seed in vain because your enemies will eat it. 
I'll set my face against you. That is the most, as I was reading that, I just, I was like, that's, who wants to hear that from the Lord? That he has set his face against us? But this is what it's like in, in rebellion and turning away from him. I will set my face against you so that you will be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you. And you will flee even when no one is pursuing you. God says, if you rebel, I will be against you. Now, I know that can go into a lot of different directions, and we can spiral in our mind to, but I thought God was good, and I, I thought God was all loving, and he is. But you've got to remember that rebellion is sin, and God will have nothing to do with sin. The most God ever had to do with sin was to send the answer to sin, and that was Jesus. There are seven different consequences. Some of your headings in, in your Bibles might say curses. Seven different ways in which God will not be for us in just two verses, verses 16 and 17. Seven different ways. And though these are obviously directed to Israel in this moment as he's speaking to them, the principle, just like the promise of if we obey comes through the cross, the same principle comes through the cross to us today if we rebel. If we rebel, we will experience consequences. We will experience consequences when we rebel against God. A life of rebellion and sin is hard. It's hard. And I think a lot of you in here know that. I know that. I know that a life of rebellion and sin is hard. And when, when, when we choose self, when we choose pleasure, when we choose every desire and go after it without any thought, though it may have a, a short-term high, that rebellion, that sin, is followed by a serious hangover. Now, you can certainly have a literal hangover, right, from drinking too much. That can happen happens physiologically that's going to go on but you can have a hangover in other ways friends you can have a hangover from trying to have all the things you can have a, you can experience a hangover from going okay i would need all the gadgets i need the clothes i need the shoes i need all this you can feel that hangover when the credit card bill comes you can feel that you can feel the hangover when the hollowness and the shallowness of the buying high wears off Right? When we just go and pursue other things, we can feel this. You can have a, a hangover from, from a relationship, from an unhealthy relationship. You can have a hangover. Because you can give all of yourself physically or emotionally to, to an unhealthy relationship. You know, and I mean, infidelity, random hookups, you know, jumping from one person to another, short-term, long-term, doesn't matter, one night or a, a few months or whatever, but you can feel that hangover when the light is shined on the darkness in your actions. A life of rebellion and sin is hard. So Porch Community, I, I want you to hear this because the, the hope is that we will, we will not be um, attracted to this, but God will oppose you in your sin. And sin will make life difficult 
for you. There are three different, there, was, there are many more, but I want to offer three, just three examples. If you ever, I've said this so many times, if you ever need wisdom about how, just daily life, go and read the Proverbs. If you need wisdom about daily life, if you need wisdom about how to control what you say, if you need wisdom about, about uh, uh, turning your mind over and having the mind of Christ, if you need that, Proverbs is a wonderful place to go. Just three examples in Proverbs of how God's blessing is on those who obey him and the consequences for those who rebel. You see it here. Proverbs 11.8. It says the godly are rescued from trouble. Now the godly can take place here of of God's chosen people, of those who love him, of believers. Um, You can just put that in there. It doesn't mean that the perfect, it just means those people who are pursuing God. Right, So the godly are rescued from trouble, and it falls on the wicked instead. Rescued from trouble. That means, guess what? They were in trouble, and they got rescued from it. That's, that's how life is. Like We're not guaranteed perfection, but we're guaranteed the presence of God. Proverbs 12, 21. No harm comes to the godly, the people that pursue God. No harm comes to the godly, but the wicked have their fill of trouble. Proverbs 13, 6, godliness, so pursuing God, guards the path of the blameless, but the evil are misled by sin. Rebellion is hard. Sin is difficult. It's going to make life hard. Look, go back to Leviticus 26 and verse 27 and 28. So we're still in the if you rebel phase. God says, after, and after all of this, if you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, then, that's rebellion, by the way, if you don't obey and you walk contrary to, if you know this is, this is the standard and you go another way, that's rebellion. If you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you in fury. And I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sin. Now, this seven times thing repeats itself quite a bit here in this chapter. And um, the seven times is a way of saying numerous, many, too many to count. It means a whole lot. I don't need, I don't want a whole lot of God walking contrary or you know being in relationship to me in fury do you if you obey he blesses if we rebel life will be difficult because we will not be uh, able to participate in the blessings that he has for us but there is hope if you repent if you repent verse 40 of leviticus 26 And it's interesting, just conversationally speaking, looking at this, at at one time he's speaking like one-on-one or to the people of Israel, and now as he's communicating back through his his, uh, spokesperson, right? Through his leaders, through Moses. He says, but if they will confess their sins, so rebellion, or excuse me, you can obey or you can rebel. 
And, and the fact that there is a, if you repent, you know what that tells me about my God? Is he knows that there's going to be some rebellion. He knows that we're prone to choose self over him. He knows it. But he's not like, you can either, you can either obey or you can disobey it. No, he makes a way for restoration. And I'm thankful for God who makes a way for restoration. When we talk about viewing the Old Testament through the cross of Jesus, that is all about restoration. Because the covenant was broken. But if they will confess their sins and the sins of their ancestors, their unfaithfulness and their hostility towards me, which made me hostile toward them so that I sent them into the land of their enemies, then, so if they will confess their sins, then when their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they pay for their sin, I will remember my covenant with Jacob, my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham. And I will remember the land, the land which was so important to the nation of Israel. That doesn't necessarily go through the cross to us about land and property and stuff like that, but the covenant does. The covenant most certainly does. God says he'll remember the covenant with us when we confess our sin. The promise here is of restoration. This is about restoration. If God's people will, will repent, that confess, humble themselves, then God will remember his covenant with them. Now, as we read this, I've mentioned this many times, through the cross, as we look at this through the cross, the promises to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob, right? Those promises are true for the believers in Christ. And this is not a, that's not a wild speculative guess when I say that statement that the promises to Abraham carry through the cross. Galatians chapter 3, verse 9. So all who put their faith in Christ, look at this good news, share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. So the promise is there for us. The covenant that he established with Abraham, we get to share in the blessing of, of staying true to that covenant the new covenant through Christ, right here, it, it carries through. When we repent, the promise of the scripture is, is that God will restore us, that he will bring us in, into a new covenant. Thank you, Lord. There is restoration, there is reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. Now, I think most of us have a basic understanding of what it means, just the word obey. And most of us have a, a basic understanding of what it means to rebel, right? You follow the rules or you choose not to, you know, you, that, we understand that. But how do, we, how do we turn from rebellion? How do we run into the arms of the Father? What does it mean for us to repent? How do we repent? How do you lay down your sins? Like, what does that look like? Well, we're told in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, If, it starts with if, if we confess our sins, and I'll, I'll just add in a word here just for the message. If we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 
as some versions say, and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we confess our sins. If he will forgive. God's grace extending his forgiving hand to us is a wonderful image. It's so much better than to think of him turning his face from us. Turning his face from us in anger or fury. This is him extending his hand of grace to us. And so, as we kind of bring this message back here to this moment, the question I would put here before us is, do you want to be made right with God? I'm not even asking if you think you need to be. <laughs> do you want to be made right with God? Are you, can you think of those times in your life when you're like, yes, I, that experience, that moment, God turned his back, not because he, he was a bad God. <laughs> I sinned. I rebelled. And I felt the lack of his blessing, the lack of his presence. Are you tired of the hangovers of your life, of pursuing a life apart from God? 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins. So if you confess your sins, so you say, God, I have sinned. If you can name them, great. I've had times of prayer where I'm just like, and God, for the things I don't, I can't even remember. Or I didn't even recognize as things that, that grieved your heart. Would you forgive me? Confess our sins. I need your grace. Jesus, I believe in you. You are the son of God. You have paid the price that Leviticus goes into such great detail. Laying out the 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 magnitude of the price for sin. See, porch community, this is this is the gospel. This is the gospel. It's it's found here in the Old Testament book of Leviticus. Um, it's filled, yet, and yet, so I say, here's the truth of the gospel, and yet it's a book that's filled with laws and regulations, and you got to do this, and statutes and commandments, very specific details. But this is the gospel because there a great high priest is, is brought forward. A great high priest is brought forward to, to stand in between the people of God and God. A great sacrifice is needed. And we know that that's Jesus Christ, the great high priest and the sacrifice. And he gave himself for our rebellion. He gave himself for our selfishness. And he did this. Not once a year, like the Day of Atonement taught us in chapter 16, but once for all. Once for all. The perfect for the imperfect. Scripture tells us that it is by faith, by grace, that we have been saved through faith. And this is the grace of God through Jesus. As the band comes back out, I just want you to hear this final if we obey we experience god's blessing if we rebel we will experience those consequences and if we repent through jesus christ then god will be for us and not against us and he'll forgive us our sins would you pray with me father thank you for the truth that is found 
in this Old Testament book. God, I pray that we have a greater understanding of of the, the cost of our sin, that we have a greater understanding of the price that was uh, needed to pay. God, I pray that we would understand that your high priest, Jesus Christ, gave us new life. Lord, would you forgive our rebellion? our sin before you? God, would you turn our hearts back towards you? Lord, even in this moment, this day, this afternoon, God, would you, by your Holy Spirit, work in us, cause us to be people who are of repentance, confession, we lay our sin before you, trusting that you take it and remove it, and it is no more. And it's through the promise of Jesus Christ that we pray all these things. Amen.